Bev's Video Kingdom because the movies won't talk about themselves. So Andy crawls through this river of shit. He comes out, visits a dozen banks, and no one's like, I'm a little concerned about the guy in the suit. <laughs> right. It smells like shit. You mean, you, mean, you mean the guy that literally washed himself in a river full of shit? Is it supposed to smell, like, smell good? Dude, that's completely the mall rat stink palm, which takes like three or four days to wash off. <laughs> oh, last time I scratched my ass, it smelled like Bigfoot's dick for a week. <laughs> Bev's Video Kingdom. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And hello, movie lovers. And tonight I have a very special guest with me. I have Zoe from the Back, uh, Backlog Cinema podcast. We're going to be reviewing The Wizard. This is the Fred Savage movie that came out in 1989. This is actually, hands down, one of my favorite movies in the 80s. I'm excited to talk to him about it and get geeked out and get some nostalgia going. So let's go on ahead. Let's welcome Zoe and let's do this. Hey, Zoe, how are you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great, man. It's a privilege to be able to have you here. You're such an awesome guest. You have a, such an awesome podcast. Uh, like I said, in the green room and everything, too, that I enjoyed your Teen Wolf review that you just dropped, and it was fantastic. Thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. I love being on the show. Uh, I like chatting with you. I, I feel like we have similar interests, so we're going to Get along just fine. Just fine. <laughs> yes, we will. As always, my friend. But yeah, um, this is actually The Wizard, and it had a budget at the time of $6 million. It made $14.3 million at the box office. So it didn't really draw the um, appeal to audiences like it wanted to, but it became a cult classic later on. And I remember watching this for, for the very first time. It was in when I was in Boston for about th two or three months visiting my grandparents, and it came on USA Network. And I just fell in love with the overall story. I, I, I'm a huge gamer as well. So this really hit home with me as far as that goes. What about for you? You know what? The first time I watched it, I was I wasn't expecting much. I think I saw this in uh at home on video. So I wasn't expecting much. And I I had a I had a lukewarm feeling towards it. I thought, eh, it's all right, meh. It, it's like, <laughs> I felt like it was just a clever uh, commercial for the big video game that uh, Nintendo was marketing at the time. Oh, uh, they was actually marketing a couple of products and that game. So, and, that, and that's how I kind of viewed it as, and I thought the, the story was just okay at the time that I first saw right. it. So we're going into it now as an adult. What did you think of it? Oh, I have a whole new uh, take on it now. <laughs> I mean, it's still clearly a commercial because everybody's <laughs> playing the NES. There's, there's like no other video game system in existence. But uh, I thought that it had a lot of heart. I was like, oh, this is, it didn't have a, a lot of great actors. It was some big actors. So they really wanted or they really felt that this movie was going to be big. I mean, they had Bo, uh, Bo Bridges, Christmas Slater, uh, uh, I'm, I want to say Randy Savage, but his name isn't Randy Savage. Savage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah, brother! I want to play some Nintendo. Oh yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Just see it, but yeah. Um, Mr. But yeah. Young Mister Savage was in there, and uh, that was like at the height of his popularity. And he's a really good child actor. I mean, he just ate up the scenery uh, in the film. So they and it, it actually had a good story with a great script. I liked the dialogue. It was they really went for it. So now when I look at it now, I was like, this movie really had a lot of art. They really put it made it a, a great effort to to make a good movie and a great story. 
Most definitely, man. This to me, hands down, has a lesson lesson to be told in this movie. It's one of my favorites. But yeah, basically, it starts off with Jimmy Woods. He suffers from PTSD after his twin sister Jennifer, which we find out later on. We don't find out until like in the middle of the film that she drowned. And after two years, that was actually two years earlier. And, you know, it just happens to be prone to randomly um, Jimmy just wandering away from home and, uh, and carries around a lunchbox while frankly repeating the word California. So we don't even know why he's repeating California. All we know is this dude wants to go to California and he's going to get up and run away because he wants to go to California. And I like how, you know, they ended up using like an airplane to track him down. You wind up seeing these cars uh, pass him by, too. And finally, the cops uh, catch up with him and then they bring him back over to where his parents are. And then you find out that basically they want to put him in a home. Right. They want to put him in some kind of mental institution uh, for children because they're having a hard time keep up keeping up with him because it's just uh, the two parents and him and he keeps like wandering off and so and and it's like this isn't the first time that he wanders off so they're like uh you know and the father it's not his father it's his stepfather his stepfather's like well we got to put him in a home because we can't just keep looking for him like this and the police are getting frustrated and so that's what they end up doing they end up uh putting him in a essentially a mental institution and i think what the case was it's like uh uh I think I think the language that we would use nowadays is that he had uh, some form of autism that was brought on by his PTSD, but that's not the language that they would they're using back then. They use all, a whole bunch of different words, but they never say that he had autism. Now I don't even think that was in a conversation. It definitely no. wasn't in a public sphere. But I think that like autism was a thing that doctors were talking about like way back in the sixties or seventies. But I don't think it reached the popular culture. Yeah. No, because even in the movie Rain Man, they don't even say what kind of uh, disability that Raymond has or I anything like they, that either. They, I think they called him an idiot savant. And uh, and I think Jimmy also is some kind of savant. So, And I don't really like to say idiot savant, but that, that's the language that they used back then. Right. Which now we go into like just the disability of autism. And yeah, a, yeah. I, I, like, I like the subtleness of autism rather than having that word. Right, uh, right, well. right, right, right. Absolutely. But yeah, uh, so Jennifer's death caused Jimmy's family to split. He lives with his mother, Christine, and stepfather, Mr. Bateman, while his older brothers, Nick and Corey, live with their fa- uh, their actual father, Sam. And exacerbated by Jimmy's behavior, Christine and Mr. Bateman decide to commit Jimmy, like we said, to an un- institution unwilling to allow it. Corey sneaks Jimmy out of the and they out of the mental institution, and they start traveling on foot. For Los Angeles, Nick and Sam resolved to bring the boys back while competing with Mr. Hunnam, a greedy bounty hunter hired by Mr. Bateman and Christina to find Jimmy. So here's the thing that I like whenever you have Jimmy's brother, uh, you know, Corey, who is played by Fred Savage. I like how he's in his room and he's over there, you know, just throwing the darts at the map. And you're not sure where it's going with that because he's like, okay, I'm thinking that he's trying to put himself in the position of his brother. Like, okay, if I was my brother, where would I be going? Why am I traveling in the direction that I'm traveling in? He was like, "Eh, Nebraska, no. And then he 
lands the dart over to California and he goes, yeah, California. Right. That, right. that, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's just spitball. He's brainstorming and spitballing at, at what his brother actually wants. And uh, because they're separated, I don't think he's aware that his brother or he's conscious that his brother's just determined to go to California. And, but that's all his brother will say when, when they meet up. And then he also right. has, uh, Jimmy also has a fixation on building things. Like if he can't escape, then he'll just start building stuff with blocks or anything that's handy. So yeah, he, he definitely has some issues that he's trying to work through. And right. the other thing is that like his older brother uh, played by Christian Slater and his father, Bo Bridges, they're, they're getting into arguments on what to do about Jimmy. Like the whole, that side of the family is all arguing about like, cause Fred or not Fred, but <laughs> Corey desperately Corey. wants to get it. Cause like first he didn't want his brother to be committed into a mental institution in the first place, but there's really nothing that their father can do. And then, uh, you know, he's arguing like, we, we need to do something. We need to get Jimmy out. And, uh, but the father's like, you know, it's like, it's not like I don't care, but I, I don't have custody. There's really nothing that we could do. So that's when, Corey decides that he's going to break his 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 brother out of the mental institution. Just, right. just hops, he just hops on something. Uh, I, he he hitchhikes on something and he gets to yeah. The, um, it was actually the Wonder Bread truck. Yeah, or yeah. And it was actually ice cream in the truck right. because remember Jimmy and him wind up eating ice cream. Because why do you have to be such a pig? No, it was and, a, it was a hostess truck. Yeah, that's right. Hostess. hostess yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a hostess bread truck. And yeah, why do you have to be such a pig? Because Jimmy had cake all over his face. But no, I, um, I, I, yeah, I guess he hitchhiked on a uh, on a hostess truck. I can't remember to get to the mental institution. And so while oh, yeah. he was that, okay, that was like after they broke him out. That's yeah, when after, that... right after they broke him out, they got into the hostess truck. I, the details are fuzzy at this point. <laughs> but yeah, he winds up breaking them out. And then, of course, that's when they go on ahead, get a, go on the uh, truck. And then that's when they pull over to this gas station that just happens to be in the middle of nowhere. And that's when they want to try and get a Greyhound ticket uh, yeah. to go. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the 80s, it was expensive. He didn't have much of a plan, right? He just goes up and was like, uh, how, how much? I, I don't know where they ended up at the Greyhound station, but they were somewhere in the Midwest. He says, how much to go to California? He's like $246. Like, what does $27 get me? He's like, nowhere. <laughs> I, think, I, didn't think he, I think that Corey didn't think that he was going to make it this far. He's like, to be honest, I could just see him thinking, well, I didn't think I was going to make it this far because yeah, yeah. how hard it was to get him out of the mental institution. But maybe he suspected that they would get caught by then, but uh, it's hard to know. It's just like he 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 just succeeded, and the one thing that he needed to do was get him out and then start heading towards California. But then not realizing uh, how how exactly he was going to get it. And then a, a funny thing happened, like when he first got out the truck after the, I guess the first leg of the journey, uh, Corey. You know, he starts taking out the map to figure out where they are and figure out which direction they got to go. And he kind of turns his back on Corey and Corey just sort of walks off. <laughs> he starts walking him away. Like, and, I don't need no map. I know where yeah, I'm going. <laughs> see, ex- apparently instinctively knowing where to go. And he has to chase Corey down and, and follow him to, uh, you know, try to. Then they start walking together. So, yeah. Right. But I want to talk about Putnam for a minute. He's such a sleazeball. He had like the most punchable face along with the stepfather at that time. Yeah. But, so, yeah. yeah. The, uh, 
So he was a cartoonishly evil villain, right? So just, just un, <laughs> almost unrealistically evil. Just, uh, you know, uh, pushing kids around and you know all this kind of stuff, uh, being rude to people, uh, and then like trying to stop. Like so, both uh, Corey and Jimmy are are running away, and so the bounty hunter is like, or the the detective, he's like, he's just going to rescue. Jimmy and he doesn't care what happens to Corey because he's not he's not paid to bring back Corey, which is like really messed up and cold hearted. So because <laughs> um the detective is unwilling to try to bring back Corey, that's when Corey's father and brother decide that they're going to do it on their own. So now the detective is trying to sabotage their search for the boys. You know, he's, he's lashing their tires and, and and doing stuff like that because he believes that if they find the boys before he does, then he won't get paid. And he's just that that's not how a search effort is supposed to work. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what though? I think it works though for the story because I definitely like the race between the two of them. Is like, okay, yeah. who's gonna get there first? Right. And right, you're right. rooting for the father, and and also you're rooting for the brother to get there before he does. Right. And they right. happen to run into the same town that Corey and them go into every single time. Is like as soon as they leave, they're entering the same city as they're leaving. Right. Right. So. Right. It has a trope a little bit. I want to say that Putnam kind of reminds me of the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, in a sense, where the principal had that little cartoon, cartoony kind of flavor to it to him as well. Same thing with Putnam, because of the fact he goes into the arcade, he turns the guy, the kid around because they look like Corey, right. stuff like that too. So it has like that little um, flavor of Ferris Bueller's uh, Day Off. Right, right, right. So I, I don't remember much of first Bueller Day Off. I know I've seen it, but I just don't remember it for some reason. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge black hole in my mind. I gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, uh, at a bus station, Jimmy and Corey meet Haley Brooks, a teenager on her way home to Reno, when they discover that Jimmy is intently talented at playing video games. Haley informs Corey of Video Armageddon, a gaming tournament being held in Universal Studios Hollywood with a grand prize of $50,000. Corey sees the tournament as an opportunity to avert Jimmy's uh, intuition by showcasing his talent, and Haley agrees to help take Jimmy there in return for a share of the winnings. So, you know, I like how uh, Corey just walks into the station. We already talked a little bit about the gas station with the Greyhound bus and things like that, too. But... Corey gave himself away a little bit whenever he looks down and he looks over to where the cops are. And then Haley looks down from her magazine is like, oh, okay, so these guys are up to something. Right. And then you have Jimmy, who's playing Double Dragon, which I remember playing that game back in the 90s. Right. Because I was like, hands down, one of my favorite games to play in the arcade. And so it's a big high score. And that settles the little bit of the nugget that we're that we're getting within this movie, too. And then so they go into the back. Haley winds up saying, look, if you do not tell me what you guys are up to, I'm going to scream right oh, now. I love that. I love <laughs> that because the, and the reason I love that is because there's a great callback to that particular moment later on in the movie. So I, lo- I love that because it's like she knows there's something up and she's trying to find an angle with the two. And so then, then and then plus she's probably just nosy because she could have just minded her own business and gone back home to what she was doing. But I think part of it is that she's she's kind of lonely and she's trying to make it like she's a tough kid that she doesn't need anybody. But she 
apparently is a kid with no family. So she's kind of lonely and she's looking for companionship. So I think that's why she almost immediately attaches herself to the two boys trying to figure out what's up with them. I can see that because if you think about it like this, the two boys need her just as much as she needs them because they're on this thing by themselves. So to have somebody else there with them, that's actually that, that would actually knows their way around. And you need someone that knows the streets in a sense to where they feel safe with. So what better way to have a girl that knows her way around Reno and things like that. Once she finds out that there's video Armageddon going on. Right. Right. Yeah. She, uh, but she's not as, street smart she she portrays herself as being more street smart than she really is like so when she sells it (laughs) right 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 so they basically they horn squoggle her out of her money because jimmy beats her at devil dragon he he beats her score so he takes her money and then or takes her ticket and cashes it in for money and then they're supposed to uh find their like hitchhike their way to reno and they get into this truck and uh they're they're in the back of a of a truck and she says she knows truckers. They're not going to harm her. Her father's a trucker. She knows trucker. Uh, but what happened is that they're counting their money in the back of the truck. It's like a, a pickup truck or something like that. It was like a large pickup truck. Yeah, it, carrying uh, carrying cows. Yeah, some cows. And there's, and the passenger uh, inside the truck also winds up spotting, oh, look, this person has money. Yeah. And the number one thing you don't do is when you're hitchhiking is – to you know take out the wad of money that you don't even know who these people are because then right. you can try and steal from me and that's exactly what happens right um blake williams says 50k in 1989 was irrelevant to 120k plus <laughs> right definitely yeah that that would have been a, a lot of money that that would have been uh, a nice sack change <laughs> <laughs> i could use some of that by the way right but yeah right, right. but yeah um that's one of the things that I thought that was if she was street smart, the way she says that she's street smart, she would not be taking out that wad of money. Right. Where people would want to rob her. Right. That's correct. But see, that's the thing. She thinks that they they wouldn't. But like she thinks she knows these dudes and that they wouldn't. But you really don't know anybody. So they, they get robbed and they get uh, left in the street. Now they're walking and. And Corey's being all sarcastic and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I like how Corey goes, oh, I thought you said you know truckers. What's what's up with that? Right, and right, right. Goes, Will you shut up, Corey? I know what I'm doing. Really? So them stealing the money. Yeah, you know what you're doing all right. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I like how he gives it to her like that. I thought that, right. that was always great. It's funny, right? Because uh, that... That's not the only time they get robbed in this movie. And it's like your heart breaks with these kids. It's like, I'm glad that they handle it in a realistic way because in a different movie or TV show, you know, the kids are street smart and they would get away, but they, they never get away. They always get beat up. They get, they always get their money taken. It's like, oh my God, this is heartbreaking. <laughs> you feel for these kids. And that's where I think that this movie did a good job. And it, they do a kind of realistic portrayal of what would happen to a bunch of runaways trying to, uh, who didn't really have as them as much street smart as they needed to survive on the road like that. Exactly. They get their money stolen three times in this movie. I actually counted it. I'm like, okay. So I like the fact that they're going through a little bit of a real realistic realm because in the eighties, they don't really stray into the real realism of certain things. They go for the cheese. This is not them going typically for the cheese. Like the, like we would normally do in some movies. Right, Especially right, with them right. getting robbed three times. I'm like, okay, this is realistic. We're on this journey. <laughs> but also, too, I like how they hustle these businessmen, though, too. 
these yeah, shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. We see how they make their money. They just they basically they they're doing their version of uh card sharking or they're doing pool shark except with video games, right? So right. <laughs> they go around it making bets. And it's like it it's a sucker bet because they people see Jimmy and they don't think he's he's capable. And so and then he beats them at whatever game that they're playing. And so that that was basically smart of them and and it worked out really well for in in their case definitely and then they try to hustle this other guy named uh what is it lucas i think his name was yeah yeah lucas they try to hustle with his friends into doing it and of course that's when we get the famous power glove man (laughs) see that was one of the that was one of the nintendo markets so the power glove was not a thing that anybody had seen before so he pulls out and he's like the power glove. <laughs> <laughs> and he has it in a steel I suitcase. Love the power glove. And then he's like controlling a video game, the power glove and everything. And it was like, and I'm pretty sure that the audience went wild when they saw it. And so that was the one of the big things that Nintendo was marketing. So this is before the Super Nintendo came out. And another thing I noticed that I like how they showed the graphics on the screen because at the time it was state-of-the-art graphics. Like this is the, the most, you know, the highest the most sophisticated graphics that you can get because it was like eight bits was the highest. I don't know. I think Nintendo was 16 bits. I can't remember. I think I can't remember if it was eight bits or 16 bits. Somebody correct me. I don't, y'all know, y'all know it was <laughs> not a bunch of, of bits. <laughs> and so <laughs> I want to say that it was uh 16 bits. And uh, I guess, I think super Nintendo was 32 bits. Yeah. That sounds about right. Because yeah, yeah. the graphics were a lot more, right. they and stand then- out a lot more. Right. And then uh after after Super Nintendo, I think it was uh Nintendo 64, which was 64 bits. And and then yeah, then off to the races after that. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll say for the sake of arguments that uh Nintendo was six uh 16 bits. So that was like I mean, imagine seeing like you seen the trailer for uh like Street Fighter Six or yeah, or Mortal Kombat One that those graphics look amazing. Now apply those same feelings to these. 16-bit graphics that you saw in the wizard movie and that's exactly how we felt about these graphics <laughs> exactly and we thought they were state-of-the-art back, Man, back in those, those days right right we thought that was awesome that was the most advanced graphics that we've ever seen so um yeah there was a they were really trying to promote nintendo at the time and it's like right. and there's a thing where the father and son while they were on their way the uh the son had brought a nintendo that he had repaired and they hooked it up to the TVs in the hotel and they start playing it. And then, you know, the father gets hooked on it and he knows all of the, the video game lingo. He gets hooked on Teenage Mutant Ninja right. Turtles and they're, they're like playing. He's playing all night. And now it, it gets to the point where the son has to unplug the system so they can go and start looking for uh, their, you know, their brother and son. So, yeah, it was right. The thing that I liked about it was, okay, it's twice where the father puts him, puts Christian Slater down, which is Nick. He puts him down because, oh, you're really going to play that thing? You're just going to hook it up because they were in the car mechanics place. Right, right. And and he goes, really? Going to play that here? He goes, yeah, I'm going to play it. And then, (laughs) okay. So then the hotel room scene is the same bit again, but the father goes, really? You're going to play that right now? You're going to play that stupid thing now? Yeah, I'm going to play it. Right. You know, Christian Slater goes to bed. Then you see the father playing T- TMNT. Right. right. And and that's the thing. Like, Christian Slater's trying to connect to his father. And, uh, and you know, his father's not trying to talk. So Nick goes and he, uh, that's when Nick decides to go and, and play the video. Because it's late at night. 
the father's trying to go to sleep. And that's why the father's annoyed that, you know, Nick would just start playing a video game while he's trying to go to sleep. That's why he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to play it because you don't, because, because you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to talk to me. So I'm going to sit here and play this video game because I can't talk to my own father. That's basically what he's feeling at the time. Exactly. But also, too, the thing with Lucas and with the Power Glove, if you think about it in the way that we looked at the Power Glove, that's like the closest thing that we could come to, like VR at that time. Because yeah, think yeah. of it like, because if you think about it, when he's over there trying to steer the steering wheel, right? He actually, it looks like he's driving the uh, right, car. Right. I'm not exactly sure uh, how the Power Glove actually works. I do know that it was a bust. That I think it was sluggish. But what I did notice is that when he was powering it up, like when he's pressing the buttons on the sleeve of the glove, it sounded to me like a tune to ET the Extraterrestrial. No. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So they did beep, 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 boop, beep. That, that's what it sounded like <laughs> to me. And uh, right. and, and that's how he powered up the, uh, what put the settings on the glove or whatever. So yeah, it wasn't. And so Nintendo was always putting forth, even though Nintendo didn't really have a uh, strong competition, they were always putting forth peripherals to try to dis- make themselves distinctive from the competition. They they always did that. Sometimes it's a success, sometimes it's a bust, but they constantly going it was it was not get just games with nintendo it's the peripherals that they're always trying to put forward exactly they were always always trying to change the game right it came down to doing their own stuff so that's something i do appreciate with the originality of nintendo trying to do something different in the 80s so while all this is going on too the trio also arrives in reno gaining more money with the help from Haley's trucker friend spanky whom Haley coaches to success, uh, to success at a casino craps table. Jimmy then begins training on arcade machines with help from the Nintendo Power Line, which I thought was really cool. How yeah, he has these, yeah. all these binders. I'm like, this dude don't have nothing else to do. No, that's that was a thing that uh, Nintendo had. A, they needed that money from the trucker. It first of all, somehow you had a child that breaks it, that gets into a casino. There's some kind of way a child is in a casino. Then she's coaching Spanky on how to win it. Uh, I think it's a roulette table. So yep. that that's a, and she knows because uh, we find out later that her mother had a gambling problem, but she learned gambling from her mother. So Spanky wins a whole bunch of money and somehow. She takes all of it and leaves him $10. Like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I know that it was all on you, but it's still all luck. It's like, I figured that she would take half. She took all of his money. So that's crazy. And he, he just gave it to her. And that was weird. That, that If there was any unrealistic part of this movie. So that they, was balanced, it. <laughs> they balanced the realistic part of the kids always getting beat up and they're having their, their money taken. If they balanced that with Spanky, a gigantic truck driver, giving all of his money to this little girl i mean granted she did help him win all of that money but still that that's a weird thing to do so <laughs> exactly because even spanky's like what the heck because right he, right, he's, right. He's like really just yeah. oh, come and she just looks at him and just like kind of bats her eyes and goes come on spanky it's okay right right and, right and i'll be like girl give me back my money right I, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah i agree i need a little more, more a bit more backstory like maybe uh she had uh, helped him out some earlier time and and get or gave him a bunch of money when he needed it or something like that. Give me something more than her just taking all of this money because right. that's, that's so it felt weird. So anyway, it did. Uh, so 
Nintendo had a helpline and it was famous that, you know, you pay like 99 cents a minute or something like that to get help whenever you got stuck on Zelda or, or uh, what do you call it? Um, Metroid. Or Mario. Or, right. Or Mario, any Nintendo game that you could call them. Cause yeah, they had binders cause they didn't have computers with that information. Right. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that since this is a Nintendo movie, they showed you what the inside of a Nintendo, uh, Nintendo call center looked like. And, Which I thought uh, was pretty cool to have like that, that behind the scenes kind of thing inside baseball kind of feel to it because I remember those power magazines. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. That yeah. My dad used to get me all the time. Yeah. And things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. And of course, I also emailed. I mean, I, I remember when I had my PlayStation 1, I was stuck on a Xena Warrior Princess on this one right. level. So I'm, <laughs> and, they, and they said, if you have problems with this game, right. email us. Like, right, right. Like, okay, what the hell? I'll just do this. Next thing you know, the guy has actually given me tips. Right. So I actually right. felt like Jimmy at that time and Corey right. getting tips from the Nintendo Power Line. So I thought that right. was actually pretty cool. Right, so there was the uh, Nintendo uh, call center, which they use for everything, because Jimmy had to be good at all of the games. Apparently, there were a possibility of like 90 games that at any given time they could play at this tournament. So he needed to be excellent at all of them. And so that's why she was calling the tip line so that she could pass the information to Jimmy and Jimmy could, you know, use the cheats, so to speak, to get uh, the highest score that he could on these games. And uh, there was also... Like you mentioned, Nintendo Power, that's how I found all of the fatalities for Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like, how, there was no internet house. Who's you going to get that information? Exactly. <laughs> either, you're, either you suck at it, or you're just going to have to keep training yourself to be just like Jimmy. So it's right. either one or the other. Right, so, right, right. But at that time, after that, the children also escape Putnam because Haley winds up uh, because they wind up finding Putnam winds up finding them by the pool. Yeah, and yeah. Finds Corey. He goes well, and he's always using the excuse. Well, I'm trying to look for my kids. Right, right, right. Yeah, and with, so yeah, with a, what a detective looking for missing kids would do. Right, it, it, that makes sense. I, I don't fault him for for that kind of subterfuge, but <laughs> I just hate the way he just grabbing kids though. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he just snatched Jimmy like nothing. It's like, oh, right. I found you. Okay, right. <laughs> coming with me i'm like damn you should right, try right. it out for term t2 for terminator 2 judgment day right you would just take john connor that's it yeah just just crazy right right so but, uh, yeah. yeah go ahead yeah uh so at that point that's when uh cory winds up yelling over to Haley. hey look they're coming uh to get jimmy they know where he's at jimmy's playing his video game 
And then he, Putnam tries taking him. Then, of course, that's when Haley goes, he touched my breast. Oh, man, I laughed out loud. I <laughs> love that. And that's the callback that I mean. Because she said she, when she first met Jimmy and Corey, she said she was going to scream if they didn't tell her what they were up to. And then that's what, she, that's what she screamed. She said, he touched my breast. An instant response. That was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> He's mad. He's like, she doesn't even have any breast breasts. Like, and you know what's you... bad? He's telling the operator that when he's looking up there. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, and then it, it was called back again later on in the movie. And so that was also brilliant. So that's what I mean. It, just, it had a really, it had a pretty good script behind it. I think what it was probably missing, maybe if the direction had been better, if they had a better director, this would have probably been a smash hit because it definitely had a strong story behind it. Most definitely. I mean, you have Jimmy who's trying to get to California, the little bit of mystery element. You have a little bit of a Goonies kind of flavor to it, too, if you think about it, because these are these kids going on their own adventure while the parents are also trying to find them. So you have the adults and the children doing their own thing as well. So I think, yeah, I think... You have those two lines going in. I think if a little bit more direction happened, I think it would have actually made more money. Right. And then that this there's a side side story where whenever uh the detective and Jimmy's uh father and um yeah, father and brother, whenever they would meet up in a town, you know, it's like uh at one point it was like a what do you call it? What well, what are the words I'm looking for? Uh a, what do they call it? A car derby? Yeah, like a uh, car derby kind of thing. Yeah, a crash derby. Anyway, they was playing bumper cars. They were playing bumper cars in the street with their real cars. <laughs> and I like how the old man's out there just chilling. And he's right, watching this right, whole entire right. thing go down. Like, it happens every single day. Right. And- yeah, just not even paying attention. And then uh, the detective does a trick where he tells this tow truck driver to tow their truck. So the, the father actually gets the information of, of exactly where his son is his sons are going and then when they but he, when he comes out his truck is gone because the detective had his truck towed and then they tracked the, the truck down and it's already been stripped down for parts i was like oh man this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> the tow truck driver was like i oh, oh, i didn't know it's like yeah you knew you just don't go towing somebody's property without exactly uh, without knowing what you're doing it's like uh, there's no place where that's legal no definitely see. I hope he got sued out of business. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, at this point, though, too, they uh, Haley and them are back over at her place. And she's always describing the fact that her house is this big house. She has a lot of friends. And you can even tell that she's BSing them whenever she says, I have too many friends. I can't fit any more to the point where I can't fit any more. Right, right. And right. you can definitely tell that she's lying to them. But there's the innocence of the child that... It's not even computing with them. Oh, well, Corey at all. believe her. I, no. I don't think Corey ever believed her because it was something that was not genuine that he could pick up on. So he, but he, he's not going to call her out on it. You're right. It's like if she, if this is something that she's keeping to herself, then he's mature enough not to press her on it. Right. So right. But until, until it's like his backup is, is up against the wall. And, and at one of those, it's like, when Jimmy was taken and then she once again claimed that she had friends. Right. <laughs> and, right. And it turns out she was telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get to that in one second too, because this is actually something that happens after uh, he gets taken. But, you know, this is something that happens though too, while they're on there. Uh, Corey winds up having the feel to want to kiss her. She winds up 
she goes, oh, okay. and this is like the first time I've ever seen like in a movie like this where it's like, oh, I bet you want to kiss girls. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's funny because he starts leaning to kiss her and she's like, ew, right? <laughs> I'll never kiss a boy. <laughs> and then and then she grabs him and she kisses him like forcefully. Uh, where it's like, not genuine, like a not a real kiss. It's more like a play kissing. <laughs> like, it's more like I'm gonna kiss you just to shut you up. Right, 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 right. Yeah, then of course that uh Pundit winds up taking Jimmy. Then you wind up having Haley, she winds up summoning the truckers who barricade Putnam on the road and rescue Jimmy. So you have Spanky who has his ten dollars and <laughs> And basically his gang of truckers that he's going to give them probably $5 each to block the uh, the way to where Putnam can't take Jimmy. Right. Oh, but remember what uh, Spanky said when he got out of the truck. So what happened is like he's going down the road and there are two trucks in both lanes that are coming towards him. And then he can't turn around because there are two trucks following him, blocking both lanes on a two lane highway in the middle of nowhere. So he has no way out. And so... <laughs> And they get out the trucks, and Spanky says, "So you like to touch little girls' breasts, huh?" (laughs) 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 The next time you see him, he's got a black eye because yeah, (laughs) he got roughed over. That's right. (laughs) Has a warning by the truckers. Yeah. After that, Spanky winds up driving the children to the tournament. Jimmy enters and becomes a finalist after playing Ninja Gaiden. In between rounds, Putnam is unsuccessfully reattempts to uh, apprehend the children. Jimmy Lucas and the third finalist, uh, Moore Gibson, complete compete in the tournament's final round. They have 10 minutes to score as many points as they can for Super Mario Brothers 3. Right, right. Uh, but, but there's, a, just... there's a whole sequence before that. So there's one where they play the first game. I think it's Ninja Gaiden. So they play yep. that and then... Uh, Apparently thousands of games. It's weird because he's training for all the games and I'm thinking they're going to play all the games. But then the only game that they actually play is Ninja Gaiden. So, or maybe it was cut down because I would have liked to see a montage of all the games that they were playing. In Same. The I was looking for like a montage. Right. But the, right. But they only play two games. It's like, see, that's where a better director would have uh, made that a better movie. <laughs> so, see. <laughs> If they would have gone the guy who made Karate Kid, you would actually have a lot more of the training right, mo- right, montage. Right. I mean, they it. had there was like a training montage, and that was great. But they needed a tournament montage where they're actually playing the game because the training right. montage was pretty good. Where you like they're calling the their call right. center. You see uh, Jimmy playing the different video games, and uh, you see like Corey and the girl coaching him and whatnot. So you you get to see all of that in a montage form, and them playing around with money or whatever. Or scamming people. And then there's uh what you call it when they get to the tournament, it's basically just that one game before the final game, which is weird. So they <laughs> can I just say this though? Yeah. They were the people who were doing the sign-up sheets were so over the top. They were like yeah. real sergeants for this video game yeah, tournament. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were real cartoony. Uh and so they I guess they had thousands of kids playing Ninja Gaiden, and then they had to uh, the three highest scores. So one of them was uh, Lucas. One of them was this girl, a uh, random girl. And then one of them, and then Jimmy came in third place, I guess, because he had to race across the country to get there, you know, probably not as well rested as he could be. To- no. <laughs> because they go through, I liked how they go. It's like a universal commercial. Now it goes from Nintendo 
to now being like a full blown Universal Studios. Right, 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 yeah, right. It, yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're in Universal Studios and they really uh, what you call it? They really display Universal Studios. But I want to uh, go back to this one part. So there, there's one part where they have the money taken from them, and it's uh, they had scammed some teenage boys. The teenage boys ca- catch them off guard in the middle of nowhere and beat them up to and get their money back. And then they they steal Jimmy's hat, which is basically the business because uh, his father has a landscaping business, Woods Landscaping, and they steal his hat. And that's basically how his father, Mr. Woods, finds Jimmy because they uh, when they in this bar they or this restaurant they happen to see the kid with the with his hat on, right? It's, it's his business, it's his hat, so he knows that the kid knows uh, where his son is because that's the only place where he could have gotten it. But anyways. Uh, so when they're out in the uh, desert, they, that's when they, they, they we find out what's in Jimmy's lunch pail. It's all of these pictures of his dead sister and it's family photos of them together. And these are pictures that I guess uh, Corey hadn't seen in a long time. And he said he always wondered what was in the lunchbox because he never knew what was what Jimmy was carrying in his lunchbox. So always had it with him. So uh, now they know that this lunchbox is important they know why he's acting this way because he still feels that uh the death of his sister and then there was a thing where um that they wanted to give up like Corey wanted to give up jimmy really wasn't speaking and the the girl was mad at both of them and they was seemed to be going their separate ways and then that's when jimmy because first jimmy was only saying california but this time he said i don't want to quit Right. And then they run back to Jimmy. Right. <laughs> so that was a cool moment. I like that. It, I thought that was cool. Right. It was a heartfelt the, moment. Right. It's heartfelt. Gave you all the touchy feelings. Uh, because he's uh now he's he's speaking more. He's speaking more than just uh California. So that's really what drove them to continue their trek to go to California. So now they're in there and then they play the first game and then they uh it's supposed to be a break, it's like a 15 or 30 minute break for the next game. They they don't say what the, the game is. And then that's when the detective finds him and starts chasing them all throughout Universal Studios. And all because, thanks to Lucas because right. Lucas winds up pointing him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucas, break. Right. Lucas doesn't want to lose. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually and, afraid yeah. of losing. And uh, he, he points him out. He's trying to get rid of his competition. And then, you know, they go through King Kong, they go through all these rides, these attractions, and then finally he winds up making this great appearance because even the guy, the announcer is really shocked at where Jimmy is because it's in Jimmy Woods. Right, right. And Jimmy. Because <laughs> Jimmy is missing because it's like the, the, the game is about to start. He's looking, he's got the first two contestants, he's looking for Jimmy. Lucas is smirking because he thinks that he's won because he knows he can beat this girl. And they're in uh, uh, Jimmy and the other two. They're in the bowels of Universal Studios because they they're on a ride. They get off the ride. They go underneath where God uh, King Kong is, and they're in in the machinery. And then they get to the backstage area, and then they end up above the stage where the tournament is being held. And they're all the while being chased by the detective. And then they, uh, Fred Savage. Uh, whatever Corey, he finds this elevator and they all get into the elevator and then they escape and so now meanwhile the the master ceremonies he's losing his mind because he can't find jimmy wood and so and and everything is behind these uh 
these doors. So then uh, the doors start to open, the steam goes up, the doors open, and you have three like video game stations and, and Jimmy is right there in the middle. And he's and the MC is so relieved. He's like, Jimmy, what? <laughs> he's so relieved. And in the game that they reveal is a game that I don't even know if it had been announced at the time, like if Nintendo had announced this game to the wider audience. Okay, so I did some research on this. Uh, Super Mario Brothers came out, part three came out before this movie. Okay. A year later, this movie came out. So that's, so basically it came out in 88. This movie came out in 89. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, that was, so they were revealing uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. I don't know, for some reason, I feel like Nobody knew about it, <laughs> or at least I didn't know about it because everybody was so excited. Or they revealed it in the trailer. I think that's what happened. They may Nintendo may have revealed it in the Wizard trailer. I'm pretty sure the trailer came out before the game was released. So they revealed Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers Three. Nobody that was in the movie had ever played this game. To them, this is a brand new game. It was a total reveal because everybody's been training. Uh, for all, all these video games, they had been training for. They had not trained for Super Mario Brothers Three. So they're all playing. And it's it's pretty neat because it shows that Jimmy had a chance of losing because he kept killing Mario and he had to start back at the beginning. So all, all right. that, they put some drama in it. So I appreciate that. But we all knew that Jimmy was going to win. <laughs> we knew that he was going to come back on top, you know. Right. And right, of course, right. we knew that he was going to go into the warp, uh, warp hole and everything and go uh, and warp through it and come out and on top of it. Right, I mean, right, Luke is right. disgusted, but at the same time, I also like how Christian Slater and the father come in and he's over there. Watch out for the turtle. Make sure you squash the turtle. Watch out right. for this. Watch out for that. <laughs> right. And right. Corey's over there on the sidelines trying to coach him. And he looks over to where his father is. And then he's looking at his father yelling at uh, coaching uh, Jimmy. Jimmy as well. Yeah. And Christian Slater just looks at him and goes, He's a changed man. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Because now he's a madman. He's a video game fiend <laughs> for life, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as this, after this happens, they pretty much tell Putnam to go to hell. Then, of course, they wind up um, leaving. And then we have this great scene where the entire family heads home, accompanied by Haley. Jimmy suddenly becomes restless upon spotting the... Kabazan dinosaur causing them to stop the car. They follow him inside, and Corey finds Jimmy looking at the photos of the family of one which was taken at the tourist trap. They realize that Jimmy only sought closure where Jennifer was happy. Jimmy leaves his lunchbox at the site, and the family resumes the car trip, happily right. riding off into the sunset. Right. So the uh, the family it was actually in two cars. So Jimmy's uh, fought mother. His, his natural mother and his stepfather had shown up at the tournament as well. So after he wins the tournament, Jimmy gets into the car with his mother and then the boys and the girl get into the car with their father in the pickup truck. So they, uh, they start back home and that's when Jimmy is like California, California. Cause he sees the giant dinosaur statues and that's where the pictures were taken. And so when they get back into the cars, his mother lets him ride with his brothers and and the girl and and they're all crammed in the front seat of that pickup truck because it's not an extended cab it's just a two-seater right. <laughs> essentially it's just a couch seat and they're all crammed i know they're they're little kids but still it's three little kids and a teenager and an adult all crammed into that 
uh, pickup truck. <laughs> I've been crammed in one of those before. They're very uncomfortable. Too. Yeah, yeah. And and they ride for thousands of miles to get back home. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can afford it now. They got the $50,000. They're good to go. Yeah, so, I guess. Yeah. And I, but, uh, yeah, I, I, the other thing is I don't understand where, uh, what they was going to do with that girl. That's <laughs> you know what? I was actually thinking the same thing, though. No lie. I was like, wait, what about her parents? Yeah. Is yeah. she going to become Corey's sister now? Because it's going to be kind of awkward. Yeah. I'm apparently like, she was lying about uh, her mother and father. It was like, we don't really know what happened to them. Like she kept saying her father was in a row, but it's apparent that he's he's abandoned her. At least, and his her mother isn't available, so she's basically all, all on her own. So, what what are they going to do with that? I mean, she could become like a ward of the state, I guess. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Here we are trying to come up with plot lines for her. right, <laughs> so, right, right. But yeah, I don't want to write this movie. I don't want to write it any further. <laughs> it, it definitely has its weak points. The untold story of Haley. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is but, like Nintendo's, like, I think it's its very first attempt at marketing its video games and its systems and its peripherals and, and whatnot. Uh, to, to, you know, it's already, like, on top uh, of the video game industry. I think its biggest competitors are maybe in television and Atari. And it didn't, I mean, Nintendo revived the video game industry, so they weren't going to do anything. So it was like, they were just, you know... Uh, they were just moving their muscles around. They were just, <laughs> they exactly. were just flexing. They were just flexing their their power and might. Uh, uh, imagine if this movie had been a big success. It it wasn't. And then their second attempt was their original Super Mario Brothers movie, and that was you know, uh, not well thought out. And, and they no. and here's the funny people always talk about studio interference or whatever. Apparently, from watching the movie, I would say that Nintendo gave these people complete creative freedom because that's what it looks like and now it looks like have, a great marketing tool for their stuff even for the power glove it's like okay well what do we have now well we have the power glove well that's perfect let's put right. that into the mix right and now we have so. super mario brothers movie which is apparently one of the greatest video game movies ever made in the history of mankind i guess because it's making all the money right now it made about <laughs> a million dollars right now yeah, which yeah. is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> but you know i think that the way it wraps up is perfect in a sense because of the fact that for one split moment uh jimmy has you know completed his task and he also has of course being able to have that rest in him now to where he can let, be free of his sister in a sense and then also too for one split moment he they're reunited with their family yeah and it's and, just about the family yeah. and not about the stepfather or anything because remember, the mother's like, well, right. you can go home now. I'll see oh, you at what home. I really liked about it is that it wasn't all focused on the video game tournament because that going to the video game tournament, even though that was one of the things that he wanted to do, that wasn't Jimmy's goal, right? Because, right. you know, they went to the video game tournament, he won, they were on their way back home, but his purpose had still not yet been fulfilled. And so that was like a side mission, basically. Yeah, yeah. That was a side right, right. They, they did the side quest, but he still had to finish the main mission. And then uh Jimmy had reminded them, I, I got the main mission and th- there it is right there. And they finished the main mission. And and it, it finished on a very sweet note. And I thought, you know, this this movie is much better than I originally thought it was. I had been asked about if I had seen a bad movie that when I watched it later, 
that I had changed my mind about it. And I couldn't think of any at the time, but I would have to say this is one of those movies. Okay. Uh, another thing I want to mention is this. Number one, okay, you know that song that they're all on the bikes and everything, Send Me an Angel? I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, that song was actually featured on Teen Wolf 2. And yes, I've seen the second Teen Wolf movie. <laughs> uh, I because... like the plague. And here's the thing. I like Bateman. I like him a lot. I, I liked it when he was on Silver Spoons. Uh, and then there were a couple other things that I've seen when he was a kid actor that I liked him on. I like his sister, Justine Bateman. But when I was seeing that people didn't like Teen Wolf 2, I was like, well, and this was especially in the early days when uh, professional critics had a lot of influence on what audiences saw. And they said, okay, this is a bad movie. He's like, well, I believe you. I don't need to see it. <laughs> right. And here I am, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go full in, uh, full wolf mode. I'm going to go see this movie. Right, yeah, right. Did you it's like not that as good. Not it as wasn't good. as good. <laughs> <laughs> and see, here's the a, here's a problem. As much as I like Teen Wolf, I recognize that it's not a great movie. Like, you can't compare it to, like, Back to the Future or uh, I think Mr. Salesman or whatever that one was called. Uh, <laughs> the Secret of My Success. You can't right. compare it to those two movies. So it, it was just a kind of fun movie that you could watch. And uh, some people like me are going to be huge fans of it. But you can't expect uh, it to be, like, set the world on fire or anything like that. So. No. You make us. I mean, it did make a lot of money, but you know, then you do Teen Wolf two, and and you don't have Michael J. Fox to to uh, helm it. So it's like, well, no. should have you should have just not made it then. <laughs> oh, I do have a trivia fact about this movie, though. Okay, hit me. Okay, so you know how we were talking about how they power on the video games and stuff like that, right? Get this: if you look at the power and whenever they're doing the uh, tournament, yeah. You, there's no red lights. Oh, right, right, right. You mean so all the systems are off. Right, right, right. So yeah. there's like that little small nugget of trivia that I discovered. But that's 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 pretty much it. There's not really a lot of trivia with this one. It's just cut and dry. So, right. yeah. Uh, and the funny thing about that, they could have just easily plugged them in. It's like it wouldn't have been a big deal to plug them in. Have the they didn't, you didn't have to connect them to a screen. You just had to plug right. them in for the red light. You already it, have Nintendo funding it, basically. So right. <laughs> it could have been that the 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 uh the light probably interfered with the way they were trying to shoot the the scene or whatever. Because uh you know the lighting technicians are very particular about how lights uh, are shining or whatever. So uh, you know what? I don't make movies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I did. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it for this review, man. Uh, do you have anything uh, else that you're reviewing uh, on your podcast or anything like that? All right. Let me let me uh, bring up my calendar and, and see what I have coming up. So well, maybe not my calendar, maybe just my notes. And what do I have on my notes? Uh, so coming up. I'm going, well, we just talked about Teen Wolf. I, I did Teen Wolf with Katie from a new podcast called Retro Made. On Monday coming up, I have Forrest Gump I'm going to be talking about with Chris Smith from Podtastic Audio. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. I just connected with them just uh, almost by chance. And <laughs> and basically his podcast is, talks about how to improve the audio quality on your own podcast. And so I just started listening to it. He had a lot of great tips. And 
like I said, we're going to be talking about Forrest Gump with him on Monday. And then on June 11th, I get to talk to Frankie and Scott from Shoot the Flick. They have not yet chosen what movie they would like to watch from the grand list of movies. But as soon as they choose from that list, I, I will be I'll know what, what we'll be talking about. Awesome. And you're doing the Lord's work over there, man. You're doing a yeah. very good job. You're very welcome. Well, I'm trying. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Welcome. Uh, so, okay. So I do have a little bit of announcements. I have, I, uh, you know, that 2023 film, Air, Mika and I will be reviewing that film on the 1st of June. Uh, and then on the 5th of June, I will be joined by Ta- my good friend Taco from Let's Talk About uh, Something. Uh, uh, and um, we're going to be reviewing The Thing on 6, 6 tw- uh, 2023. Beth will be joining me from the Made for Movie TV podcast, and we're re- reviewing The Great Outdoors at 8 o'clock Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. All these times can be found on the community section of the YouTube channel, so that way you guys can uh, see what we have coming out. Rossi, my co-host, actually booked uh, Big V from Nappy Roots, so... We're going to be, she's going to be interviewing him. I can't wait to have him on the podcast and her interviewing him for uh, things that he's done in his past and future and things like that. So I can't wait to see uh, that interview. So that's everything that's happening over here at Movie Lovers Night. Thank you so much to our, to Blake who winded up commenting. I do appreciate that so much. So please don't forget to like this. Don't forget to subscribe. We also have merch. So if you guys want to get a t-shirt, want to support us, that's a big way of doing it. If you want to donate, go to buy me a coffee, get me jacked up on some caffeine, and that will be very helpful as well. And always until next time, guys, it's been been fun and it's been real. I can't wait to do this again and have a great and safe night. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.